Well, good morning, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Bumper Stick of Faith. My name is Louis Dooley. This is my brother, Sam Key. What's up, brother? Hey, good morning. This is our first episode with no video. Intentional. Intentionally, yes. Yes, moving forward, we won't have videos. Just because we got more people listening than we got watching. Yeah. Which I think is probably true of most. Although, ironically, on last week's uh, episode that I posted, which was on YouTube, which was just like a a screenshot of our emblem, Mm -hmm. that's gotten more views than than the ones with with us. Oh, well, maybe we just need to do more like still shots of emblems and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But man, we got a topic today. Um, and I'm going to let you go ahead and set it up because um, you picked it out. I think it's great. I think it's relevant. And I think that um, it needs to be talked about. Yeah. Um, something that I've been hearing, I guess, bouncing around culture and uh, with people I've been talking to quite a bit. And then this article came out and it's about it's about politics. Well, we wanted to do a pol- an episode about politics. Yep. You mentioned that awesome quote by Tony Evans that yep. said, God doesn't ride on the backs of uh, elephants or donkeys. Yeah. Although, ironically, after I was thinking about that, I was like, he did ride on the back of a donkey. He did. He did. He did. He did <laughs> but that w- was in order to say that he comes in peace and not to engage politically, not Correct. to overthrow the Romans. Yeah. It's almost like a slap upside the head or something. Yeah. You know, like the, what the donkey represents politically, yeah. but what it represents spiritually. Yeah, yeah. So, But that's a good yeah, point, He though. didn't ride the war horse. He rode the, the donkey of peace. So anyways, we wanted to talk about politics, and we we're going to, and then this article came out on the Gospel Coalition's website. It's not found in the main articles section, but it's in like the book review section. So mm. if people are looking on the app, it's in the book review section. On the website, it's front and center. Uh, but it's an article by uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung, and he was a pastor in Michigan. Now he's in one of the Carolinas. Yeah, is that I think right? North Carolina. North yeah, Carolina. I think, I think that's what I saw. Um, yeah, he's a PhD. Great, great guy. I like Kevin DeYoung. Yeah, I like him too. Senior pastor of Christ's Covenant Church in Matthews, North Carolina, and he reviews a great big book by Stephen Wolf called uh, The Case for Christian Nationalism. Mm. And the name of DeYoung's article is much better. (laughs) He calls his article The Rise of Right-Wing Wokeism. Mm. Right-wing wokeism. That that got my attention right away. But Stephen Wolf wrote this uh, great big book that's pretty popular, I guess. Oh, yeah. It's on Amazon's top 20, and it's like a nearly 500-page book, wow. and it's uh, thick with uh, scholarly footnotes and all of that, and wow. and the fact that it's on Amazon's top 20 for its category. A lot of people are reading it. It seems to be an important book right now, and that's why Kevin DeYoung wanted to review it, Yeah, and we have his review here <laughs> with us today. The article that he wrote, it's like 20 pages. Yeah, it's pretty long. It's pretty, pretty long. Good too, though. So we wanted to w- walk through that, give people a taste <clears throat> of of the article and what Kevin DeYoung's thinking and, and raise some of these issues and and I guess just have a conversation about it. But, yeah. but first off, Christian nationalism, because uh, the book is called uh, The Case for Christian, Christian Nationalism. So what is Christian nationalism? I looked up a, a definition in another article. Uh, Christianity Today magazine said, Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity, defined by Christianity, 
and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Hmm. All right. So there's a difference between patriotism and Christian nationalism. Like patriotism is like you just love your country, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, But Christian nationalism is about the way you want to define your country. You want to define it as a Christian nation. And Stephen Wolf is saying, "Hey, we here's here's my case why we need to make it a Christian Christian nation," and it's um, it's kind of it's all happening. I think because uh, people Christians in our country are frustrated with some Christian leaders uh, in our country, and they're frustrated because they feel that uh, the progressives, the liberals, are like taking over, and where are Christian leaders? Why aren't they standing up for mm-hmm. for Christianity? And there's a quote later on in the article on my on my page seventeen. It's just quick, but um, um, DeYoung summarizes it pretty well. He says, "We're grasping for some alternative to the rise of militant progressivism." All right, so we're at, we're grasping for some kind of alternative to all this uh, militant progressivism, wokeism, all of that that we see. And Stephen Wolf comes along with this book saying, hey, here's the alternative. We should just be a Christian nation, and here's our case for it. Yeah, and but along with that... There could be problems. <laughs> well, there ain't going to be... There ain't no could. There is, because um, right in the beginning of the article, DeYoung kind of states what the overall message is of this book. And this is what DeYoung writes, the message... That ethnicities shouldn't mix, that heretics can be killed, that violent revolution is already justified, and that what our nation needs is a charismatic, Caesar-like leader to raise our consciousness and galvanize the will of the people. Hmm. So, I mean, just off the top, ethnicities shouldn't mix. I mean, there's this, this is anti-gospel right here. Mm-hmm. This is anti-Christ. Yeah. You yeah. know, so... For me, just reading that, the first thing I thought was, I don't want to read. I don't even want to read no more <laughs> of this stuff because it's a bunch of junk. Yeah. But at the same time, because of its popularity, and so many people in America are kind of on or jumping on this mm-hmm. bandwagon. Like I need to mm-hmm. hear and know what's going mm-hmm. on, and I'm gonna take the easy way out and read the Young's um, yeah, yeah. article about it versus reading this 500 page book of yeah. garbage. I'm gonna call it garbage just based on what the yeah. Young wrote. Yeah. Because Christ ain't in none of that stuff. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So um, at the beginning of the article then, um, he has a section called um, uh, Decline and Retreat, and he, um, DeYoung, uh, basically tries to sympathize with Wolf. He's trying to find some common ground. Yeah. Trying to find something good in the book. Yeah, trying to find something uh, good in the book, um, he says, Wolf is right to maintain that while cultural Christianity cannot save sinners, Wolf says, me- Wolf says the message of the gospel is entrusted to the church, not the civil order. But he says a Christian culture can be both uh, preparative and persuasive in the direction of the gospel. So Young is recognizing that, yeah, the more Christian and the more morals that our country has, the better everyone will be. He agrees to that. Um, but do we need to go the whole way of making ourselves a Christian, uh, a Christian nation? And then he recognizes that there's uh, other Christians around today who say, no, 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 we don't want a Christian state. 
Uh, we want it to be, uh, he, be because Constantine ruined everything. Because back in the 300s in the Roman Empire, when the Roman Empire became a Christian empire, they felt that that's when Christianity got weak. And they, they said, no, we need the government to be against us, and we need to be this small minority, and that'll actually strengthen the church. And de Young's like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the answer either, you know. So you have mm -hmm. these, these, uh, these two, two extremes. Um, but then uh, de Young has this, um, it's on like my page uh, three of the article, or two or three, uh, if you count the cover. <laughs> but uh, he says, I give this mini speech. I've given this mini speech in private settings probably a dozen times in the past five years. So this is de Young kind of rehashing something that he said to friends over the years. And I love this mini speech, and I think it captures the gist of where people who are frustrated with evangelical leaders, where they're coming from, mm -hmm. where these people are coming from. He says, so DeYoung says, we have to realize that people are scared and discouraged. They see America rapidly becoming less and less Christian. They see traditional morality, especially in areas of sex and gender, not only being tossed overboard, but resolutely and legally opposed. Of course, we should not give way to ungodly fear and panic. We should not make an idol out of politics. We should not fight like jerks because that's the way the world fights. But people want to see their Christian leaders, their pastors, their thinkers, their writers, institutional heads. They want to see that they're willing to fight for the truth. You may think your people spend too much time watching Tucker Carlson or retweeting Ben Shapiro or looking for Jordan Peterson videos on YouTube or reading the latest stuff from Doug Wilson. And I have theological disagreements with all of them. After all, some of them aren't even Christians. But people are drawn to them because they offer a confident assertion of truth. Our people can see the world being overrun by moral chaos, and they want help in mounting a courageous resistance. But instead, they're getting only respectable retreat. <clears throat> yeah, you know, when I, when I read that, my first thought was, like, looking at the Bible— Looking at the world through the Bible mm -hmm. and just the history that's there about this world, this planet we live on from Genesis 1 to creation and throughout, you know, revelations. You know, has there has there ever been a nation that's been Christian? Mm -hmm. I mean, you had the children of Israel mm -hmm. like that had their nation. Right. And, mm -hmm. and when they were following God, like everything was great. Right, but we know their plight with God yeah. is on again, off again, on again, yeah. off again, right? And so then we see them being captured by heathen nations. Mm -hmm. Then we see what happens in the, the church age with Rome, mm -hmm. and then we and then we see all throughout throughout history up until now. Mm -hmm. Like where my my question, so that's my first thought is like, when has there ever really been a Christian nation? And then my second thought quickly was is that a thing to be attained or achieved here on earth? Mm. Because I feel like when I was reading this, I couldn't help but think mm. this sounds like heaven. Yeah. Like it's trusting to make, your neighbors, loving your yeah. neighbors. Like all these things that's mentioned are great godly mm -hmm. things. But what makes us think these things are to take place at least now? Yeah. You know, why, why are they to take place now? Yeah. I, and I and I you know maybe that's because of my you know end time viewpoint mm -hmm. I think that way, but that's how I think because mm -hmm. that's what I believe. So, 
That's yeah. true. A lot of a lot of post millennials actually are fighting for more of the heaven on earth, like right now, and we we can pull it off, you know, um, th- through better government technology and that. Um, but yeah, DeYoung does address that question, like the best experiment for a quote unquote Christian nation has been our country, but in the way that we set it up. Sure, sure. Not as a Christian nation, but. It's like know, the closest thing to it. Yeah, exactly. Because there's, you know, so many things founded on biblical yeah. principles, you know, it'd be the closest thing. And the amount of years that it's been in existence, yeah. you know, it's probably been the longest standing. Yeah, over 250 years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he, um, he he's, I, I really do like, I don't know, this is, it was just helpful for me because I've been feeling some of these things in my, mm-hmm. in my soul, I guess, where I see um, some of our evangelical leaders like not taking a strong enough stand and I get frustrated uh, mm. to be honest and um, and and young put, kind of put his finger fingers on it with this mini speech and then he goes on to talk mm. about this winsome debate mm. I don't know if you heard about the winsome debate. I haven't but I did a podcast a year or so ago just on being winsome okay like yeah. what does being winsome mean what does it look like mm. Why should we be yeah, winsome? Yeah. So, yeah. so I haven't heard of this, but you know, over a year and a half ago, around about, yeah. I did a podcast about that, and so I love being winsome. I mean, that's yeah. that's verbiage that I picked up at yeah. the orchard, you know, hearing yeah. pastors there yeah. talk about that, and I just fell in love with that word because it's mm-hmm. not commonly used, but I love the thought behind it. Yeah. Well, the gist of where the the winsome debate these days is coming from. And DeYoung does argue for the correct view of winsomeness, but where it's gone is uh, the view is that, okay, as evangelical Christians, in order to reach our culture, we need to be winsome, and wins- being winsome means not hurting other people's feelings. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so therefore, if we have a view on a controversial issue like abortion or gay rights or transgenderism, we can brush that aside and not talk about it because that gets in the way of the gospel. And it get, and we don't want to hurt people's feelings, so um, the main thing is the gospel, and we'll get rid of our doctrine for that. Yeah, and that's straight bogus right and, there. And so that's where the debate's coming out. And so now these people are coming out, um, people like uh, Joe Rigney or C.R. Wiley in, the, in, a, in a recent um, conference, and they really kind of attack that notion of winsomeness. And they say, no, we're not. if that's what you mean by winsomeness— then that's actually capitulation. That's compromise. Yeah, I agree with that. Right? I agree with that. It reminds me, I remember several months ago in Cook County Jail, um, in one of the units we're in, uh, uh, obvious, when I say obvious, you know, a transgender person, yeah. you know, who was in transition, a couple of them came over to the table at Bible study, like to confront me because they knew I was having Bible study and I was talking about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, we were raised in the church and – we're changing genders and we like the same sex. And what do you got to say about that? Mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, and made yeah. a big deal out of it. And I said, look, first of all, let me say this. God loves you. Mm-hmm. And because yeah. God loves you, I love you too. You know, because you are a creation of God yeah. and you're a beautiful, amazing person, just like everybody God mm-hmm. created is. So, but the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin. Mm-hmm. The Bible, I believe, teaches against changing the nature of what God mm-hmm. created a person to be. 
And I said, you know, it, it breaks my heart when I see sin played out in people's lives mm-hmm. because it turns into situations like this where mm-hmm. we become confused about who we are and what we're supposed to be mm-hmm. and how we're supposed to live our lives. I said, but I believe that God's plan for all of us is to um, acknowledge him, accept mm-hmm. his son, be forgiven of our sins, and uh, live our life according to what the word mm-hmm. of God says. And so for me, I believe homosexuality is wrong. Um, I believe it's a sin. The Bible is clear. I've quoted several Bible mm-hmm. verses on it. And I said, but I want you to know this. Um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not damning you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're welcome to be a part of this Bible mm-hmm. study. And when we come across passages like this, I'm mm-hmm. not going to avoid them. I'm going to share what it says mm-hmm. and what I believe to be the truth about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is, you know. And they, they never attended again, but they respected yeah. the way I like yeah. spoke to them, you know, and I didn't get all high and mighty. But I, I believe I, you know, spoke the truth yeah. of what the Bible says. And I invited them, hey, come be a part of this. And so we have probably five or six homosexuals, mm-hmm. not them, that have been in the Bible study over a year. Mm-hmm. And they they said who they are, and they wrestle with this stuff. And I think it's a beautiful thing yeah. as they wrestle with what the scripture yep. says and wrestle with their flesh at the same time. I I really like that approach. I mean, it's it's winsome. <laughs> You're being winsome to win some, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, it's a different kind of. Uh, it's not getting rid of those doctrines uh, in order to share the gospel, but it's actually making the gospel way more powerful, in my opinion. Because you're saying this is what the Bible says, but there's room for you. There's grace, mm-hmm. yeah. and to share that love. That's... Yeah. So I'm and so I'm not going to capitulate. I mean, yeah. And that and that's that's a big deal for me because I'm not that guy. I wasn't kind of raised in churches. Mm-hmm. That guy. I'm more of like the get high and mighty and point the finger and mm-hmm. say, "Man, you wrong. You going straight to mm-hmm. hell." That's true. Mm-hmm. But how is that being winsome towards somebody? You know. But other mm-hmm. people will argue and say you know, that maybe that'll weigh on their mind. And it's like, okay, you know what, man? It's God's word. Mm-hmm. It's powerful enough as itself, right? Mm-hmm. I don't need to add any special emphasis to it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to change anything about it. Just let it be what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way I look at it. So I think it was Augustine's conversion, you know, way back way back when. Um, he um, had this verse from his... Uh, going going on in his head about that was convicting him of his sin, basically. Mm-hmm. And I forget what the verse was, something from Romans, something about flee sexual immorality mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Um, and he, and he couldn't shake that. And that's actually what, um, that's actually what broke Christ. through to him. Yeah. yeah. So the young says, I will be kind is Christianity. I will not do anything to jeopardize your good opinion of me. is capitulation. Mm, yep. Right. I so, like that. Being being kind and winsome in that sense is Christianity, but um, being worried about yourself, being worried about what people think of you, being worried about offending the public elites. Yeah. Well, this is what I can't figure out, Sam, is we have the Bible, and if we believe it's God's word, and we see Jesus in the Gospels, how he carried himself and how he lived his life, we should follow him as an example. Yeah. Yeah. He never wavered. Yeah. He he, he neck like a jerk. Yeah. You know, there were times that people may say, wow, he was kind of tough with the Pharisees, yeah. but they came with some rubbish. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he was like debunking that stuff. Yeah. So to me, he was kind of like meeting them where they are. Yeah, exactly. You he know, was tough with non-Pharisees too. Yeah, yeah, he was. Right? He was. But my point is like, 
yeah. should follow his lead, right? He never capitulated. Yeah. So we shouldn't capitulate. Yeah. Did he care about what people thought? I got to say no. Yeah, I don't think he did. I got to say he didn't. And it's like, well, if Jesus didn't, why do we? Yeah. Because we're afraid we're going to lose relationships. Maybe we'll lose a business deal. Yeah. Maybe we'll lose our job. Maybe we'll lose a family member. Yeah. It's all these fears that we have yeah. because the gospel is offensive. Mm -hmm. It's offensive, plain yeah. and simple. Yeah. And so by, by nature, it's offensive. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed right? to be because it's, it's telling be. a person about yeah. themselves. Yep. And it's not good. Yeah. It's bad. That's right. But the great thing about the gospel yep. is it's not stuck on bad. It says you are bad, yeah. but you can be good yeah. through what Jesus did. Yeah. So it doesn't leave you want to go like dig a hole and put your head mm -hmm. in it. It should leave you thinking, wow, like this is terrible, but man, God made yeah. a way. Yeah. So I, I don't get it, man. I, yeah. But I'm I'm right with the young, like capitulating. To save face or to make mm -hmm. people still like us, I, you know, and I and I, I can feel people on that man because mm -hmm. there is a tension sometimes, you know, where I'm in conversation with people and and it's like I I, I mean honestly I do want people to like me, mm -hmm. you know, but at the same time at what cost, mm -hmm. you know, and I I'm not gonna play the game of their salvation could weigh in the balance of what I say yeah, or not yeah. say because I'm not God right. Yep. Um, but I could maybe undo some work that someone else has done in that person's mm -hmm. life. You know, I could kill some seeds maybe that were planted mm -hmm. that I could water instead. Mm -hmm. So it's a fine line. And to me, it's a case-by-case -case basis. And you got to be led by the Spirit on how bold or how gentle you are, mm -hmm. depending on the person in the situation. And sometimes that uh, supporting, the speaking from the Bible is actually pulling out weeds. <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah, yep. that are strangling people. Amen. And we're actually doing them, doing people a favor. Amen. Right. Even when it feels like we're not. Yep. Yep. He has a. I wanted to read this paragraph. He says the other problem is that the uh, winsomeness is almost always runs in one direction. The winsome folks are careful mm -hmm. to speak respectfully and humbly to an LGBT plus audience. So he's talk, talking about evangelical winsome people. They'll speak very tenderly and carefully to the LGBT while they're eager to speak prophetically or harshly to a MAGA crowd. And then many conservative Christians are tired of always being on the defensive and always having to communicate their convictions in ways that left-leaning secularists approve of. They want more than a tiny island of religious freedom where we promise not to bother anyone. They want a vigorous defense of what's true. And then he says, the appeal of something like Christian nationalism is that it presents a muscular alternative to surrender and defeat. But that ain't even true, man. That's like this gung-ho, like Clint Eastwood, Dirty yeah, Harry yeah. Rambo type yeah. thing. Like, let's go let's go kick some butt. Yeah, in the name of Christ. <laughs> yeah, but to me, like, when I think let's go kick some butt in the name of Jesus, I'm thinking about let's go share the gospel. Yeah. And we're not kicking people's butts, we're kicking the devil's yeah. butt. Yeah, let's go serve people who are in need. Yeah, so... Yeah. I don't. I mean, and and I, you know, I'm sure people may be listening or people in the past. For me, you know, I always come back to the gospel, man, because mm -hmm. that's the answer. Mm -hmm. That's the remedy for everything here mm -hmm. on this earth that's evil and sinful. I like how you said model your, model yourself after Jesus. Like, what did he do? Like, when I was printing off this article at the library yesterday, I found this book on my way out. And there's a lot of Christian political books out mm -hmm. there right now. I discovered, uh, but it's by a guy named. Johnny Rashid, it says, Jesus takes a side. And he's saying, okay, <laughs> he's saying, just do what Jesus did. Jesus had compassion on everyone, so therefore we should welcome and have compassion on everybody, no, no matter their sin and 
um, kind of accept them. And, and Jesus did do that, but he's leaving off the other side of it that Jesus spoke the truth and said, sin no more, right? Yeah, the woman caught in adultery is yeah. the perfect example to me. He right? didn't say, go keep... Go get another five husbands, yeah, right? And he and he didn't say yeah. it's okay. Like them yeah. dudes were wrong. They shouldn't have been like yeah. that. They're they're too conservative. You know, mm-hmm. they they're too hellfire and brimstone. Yeah. Like like you're cool, you're good. Yeah. No, he said like go and sin yeah. no more. Yeah. He didn't say throw stones at the Pharisees. No. He didn't say throw stones at the woman. Yeah. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Yeah. And I think that's that that needs to be our message. Yeah. When we're sharing the gospel, is go and sin no more. Yeah. You know, but this how we say it, you know, yeah. the emphasis we put on it, all yeah. that stuff, man, yeah. plays a part. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, and he emphasizes again, DeYoung just continues to emphasize that these kinds of Christians are looking for leadership today, for stronger leadership. They want an alternative to uh, decline and retreat. Um, but Christian nationalism is not the answer. So then under the difficult task section of the article, he just... Um, he's not going to get to his critique. That was yeah. all like his opening statement. <laughs> yeah, he gets to his critique and he acknowledges how big the book is mm-hmm. and how he doesn't quite know if it's academic or a manifesto because the book kind of reads academic at first, mm-hmm. but then Wolf kind of tips his cards and, and says this is a personal matter for him. And at the very end of the book, it gets into these kind of wild and crazy personal statements yeah. that well, we may or may not get into. But um, Wolf has um, mixed motives, so so it's hard to to pinpoint down. Um, I'm gonna turn my page here. Oh, I really liked right before the um, section nations and ethnicity. Right before that, there's just a great paragraph that I'll read. He says, just as the left has predetermined that any opposition to its ideology must be attributable to racism, sexism, homophobia, and transphobia, so do some voices on the right have uh, predetermined that anyone unwilling to go all the way in the direction of Christian nationalism must be sellouts, eager to please a nefarious cabal of secular elites. This posture hardly encourages an open and honest exchange of ideas. So he says, um, yeah, uh, the left basically says if um, if you oppose it, its ideas on racism, sexism, and that, then you're just uh, a bigot, basically. But then the people on the right says that if you... Um, you're a sellout. You're a sellout, yeah. <laughs> so it's like a lose-lose. And, yeah, because uh, both sides are wrong. Yeah. Exactly. They're both like extremely yep. wrong. And that's what I find that most of the time is always true. Either extreme of a thing is usually always yeah. wrong, yeah. man. It's the right is going to be somewhere yeah. in the middle. It may be leaning more towards one side than mm-hmm. the other, but it's going to be more toward the middle than it is like mm-hmm. on the end of the thing. And where you find one extreme, there's going to be another extreme coming pretty soon. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. I, I get in my mind a picture of someone walking on a um a, a tight tight rope, you know, with the holding the, the mm, stick, the pole, trying yeah. to balance himself. And I th- think whether it's in personal relationships or cultural movements, anytime that, that the guy uh, goes like left, for instance, there has to be a hard reaction to the yeah. right. And that's just how uh, reality works. Yeah, but when he forth. has that thing right in the middle, he has perfect balance. Yep. That's what we're 
that's what we need to find. <laughs> yeah, the right balance. Yeah. And it may not come to heaven, right? Yeah, that's right. But he goes into nations and ethnicity, and this is where he r- really um, starts to critique Wolf and picking up on something that you brought out right at the beginning. Um, so Wolf is kind of fuzzy on how he defines nations. He defines it in a bunch of different ways. But ultimately, um, DeYoung says, Wolf's argument doesn't reckon with the way Bible the Bible relativizes our sense of family tears down walls between people groups and presents a multi-tribal and multilingual reality and hope for a future as a heavenly good. So the Bible breaks down barriers mm-hmm. and says families are nothing in one sense, nations are nothing in one sense, there's neither male nor female, nations are, you know. Yeah. Uh, but Wolf in his book basically, and this was kind of the troubling part of it for me, probably for a lot of people, says no uh, separation is is good and better actually we should g- stay in our little groups we should stay in our little races and ethnicities and um, that's actually better for society that's what wolf is saying and um, de young says whoa wait a minute well he, he says wolf often describes the mental habit forced upon us by secular elites that makes christian nationalists feel they need to prove they're not racist or kinis i don't know what that word is or xenophobes wolf refuses to play by those rules um but then uh, he goes on wolf goes on to say that each people group has a right to be for itself and that no nation is composed of two or more ethnicities. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just wondering, like, th- is this dude Wolf a Christian? Yeah. Well, that, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I, I what, what Bible does he I, read? Yeah, I don't know. And Wolf says, our instinct to conduct everyday life among similar people is natural. And being natural, it is good for you. So it's good for you just to stay with your own kind. That's what Wolf says. And that to, quote, to exclude an outgroup is to recognize a universal good for man. And then maybe the worst one, spiritual unity is an inadequate, is inadequate for formal ecclesial unity. So he's saying you can't be unified as a church unless you're of the same physical yeah, like all this ethnic yeah. group that this yeah. church. So every church is going to look have their own ethnic group. So spiritual unity is less than these ethnic unities. Yeah, that's I mean that's, that's not that's not the Bible. So at all and to DeYoung's me. like, uh, <laughs> maybe you should give um, some proof for this that your view doesn't lead to yeah. all-out racism. Well, well, one of the things to me that you know I was going to say earlier and I I didn't, but I'll say now is that. You know, the whole idea of when you talked about patriotism and then nationalism, Mm -hmm. you know, even patriotism, although isn't bad, you know, I think, you know, being a minority myself, being half black and growing up in a black community Mm -hmm. pretty much my whole life, um, I would say many minorities, many black minorities, they don't have much patriotism toward Mm -hmm. this country because of his past, Mm -hmm. specifically with their ancestors. And Mm so I think what's kind of got caught up in all of this Christian nationalism, patriotism, Mm -hmm. and wokeness is 
what's lost is the idea of this truth that it's, it's, on one side of the coin, these people, these minorities are saying, we want to be compensated for this thing that happened all these years mm-hmm. ago. And I'm not, I'm not an advocate for that. But the other side is saying, we just wanted to be acknowledged. And we're not saying do anything other than just acknowledge that. And if you acknowledge that to the ones that are trying to be so patriotic and so nationalist, specifically the nationalist mm-hmm. ones, like their views aren't acknowledging accepting this, but they're pushing love of this country mm-hmm. where for a large people group in this country have a lot of hurt and trauma because of what happened. Mm-hmm. And just because something happened so long ago, does that make the trauma still not real? And mm-hmm. even if it didn't happen directly to you, does it not um, go through generations mm-hmm. and still affect people? Mm-hmm. I would say something to that magnitude, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely. still affects, you know, economically, number one. Yeah. You know, and then all the other things that come along with that, with mm-hmm. the, you know, lack of um, opportunity, mm-hmm. like so many things were created from that that mm-hmm. still exist today. And when these nationalists or um, patriots don't acknowledge this and say, man, yeah, we know that's wrong and that's bad, um, then they're looking at this people group like, well, how come you can't come on board with mm-hmm. us? And it's like, man, we can't come on board with you because of this. Yeah. And and then I would even say, me personally, I would say, if you do acknowledge this, like, can you help in some kind of way? Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily saying help me personally. I'm saying is there something that could be done to help the overall good of this people group? You know, and that could look a bunch mm-hmm. of different ways. It could be changing laws. It could mm-hmm. be changing systems. It could be resourcing jobs and businesses and communities that are under resource, you know, like it can look a bunch yeah. of different ways, but when you don't acknowledge something, it's, you're not doing anything yeah. to help it. Yep. But then you wonder why these people are pushing mm-hmm. saying, Hey, like we're here, mm-hmm. you know, and this guy Wolf is just like saying, yeah, I recognize you're there. Mm-hmm. Stay over there. <laughs> Stay with your own kind. Yeah. And we're going to stick with our yeah. kind. Yeah. So that's crazy. It's crazy. That's to a me. great point. And it grows. If you don't acknowledge it, it just grows in strength. Yeah, and, and there's and, demons attached to these things for generations and generations. Yeah, and it keeps going. Yep, it keeps going. And then, the, and then the one side says, "Well, America, you got the best opportunity. Look at, look at, um, look at Ben Carson. Mm-hmm. You know, they start naming these yeah. black, successful, very well educated mm-hmm. people. Look at Kamala, Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Look at Barack Obama. Like, how can they be successful?" But you're over here crying and complaining mm-hmm. in the ghetto where many of them came from. Why aren't you successful? And it's like, come on, man, really? Yeah. Really? I mean, you can name off 10,000 successful black people in America, but what about the hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. that aren't? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's exceptions to rules, right? And everything isn't the same. Yeah. But to just throw it all in one yeah. one bucket yeah. and then say, yeah, you can, you could do just like they can. Every it's every situation yeah, could be somewhat like, different. It's like pointing to some great NFL player and saying, "Oh, Sam, you could be them." Like, hey, that's exactly right. Like, no, that's exactly I right. Can't. So you know? it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so back to the article here. Let's see what the next uh, part is. Uh, right before the nature of the church. Section Yeah, so Wolf uh, defends basically racial separation as a good goal. And DeYoung says, is this really the direction 
we're to be pushed by the gospel? Are we really to pursue a social ordering on earth so different from that which is present in heaven? Are we really so sure that our love for people like us and our ostracism of of people unlike us are God-given inclinations and not fallen ones? That's great. I mean, DeYoung, I mean, he recognizes, yeah, people prefer their own kind, their own race. I recognize that. But are we so sure that those aren't sinful, a result of the fall, rather than um, just good, healthy human uh, uh, nature, I guess? Yeah, I, I think it's, a, you know, I, I, I don't know if I could go so far as to say it's a sinful thing. I want, I want to say yeah, it's a sinful yeah. thing. Because honestly, man, when you just said that, like most people want to be with their own race, that ain't true of me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. I feel just as comfortable yeah. around a black person as I do a white person, and and I'm half and half. And just because that doesn't mean I have to gravitate towards mm-hmm. one or the other, or it doesn't mean I have to be unbiased mm-hmm. towards one or the other. But I truly can 100% say with all honesty, yeah. I'm just as comfortable with a yeah. white person as a black person. Now, from a cultural standpoint, I'm more. Um, I feel I like a lot of black cultural things better than I like white mm-hmm. cultural things like food. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Italian food. My mm-hmm. mother's Italian. Yeah. But I love soul food yeah. more. You know what I mean? I listen to R&B music. Mm-hmm. I really don't listen to country or rock or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So culturally, there's things mm-hmm. I like better, but I don't feel more comfortable around yeah. one or the other. I think another sort of proof for me is that, sure, people like to, people do prefer their own kind of people typically. Yeah. Now, yep. does that make it a good? Um what if um I could what if I could say, you know, 100% I'm just as comfortable in a black crowd or a Chinese crowd as I am among my own people. What, what would I think that's a good thing? Heck yeah, I would. I'd be like that'd be great if I were just as comfortable. That yeah, seems yep. like a good to me. Yeah, it does right? seem good to me too. It seems like a better. Yeah, so, and the thing I don't like, I wish I could say yep. that's true of other, you know, cultures like the Asian culture, yeah. or the Latino culture. I can't say that yeah. because I'm not used to being around them. And the promise of heaven is that we will. Yep. Yep. Right? Amen. Oh, amen. Yeah. Amen, brother. So um so then then he gets into the nature of the church. Um his point two, he says, key to Wolf's political theory is that is the concentration contention that a Christian nation is a nation whose particular earthly way of life has been ordered to heavenly life in Christ. But then he gets off that a lot and basically gets into this whole argument Wolf does that the church is inferior to the nation <laughs> and that if we truly had a Christian nation, that that would be God, that would be God's main uh, means of, of moving in this world mm-hmm. and operating. And Wolf rejects the idea that the church is a colony or an outpost of heaven. Now I love the idea that the church is an outpost of heaven. So you have heaven, mm-hmm. and then you have the church, this little microcosm Amen. of heaven, this Amen. little outpost. That's yep. great. Yep. But Wolf rejects that and says that the church is not a principal image of heavenly life. But only a Christian nation can give us a quote complete image of heavenly life. That's this what Wolf kind, says. This kind of stuff that made me angry, man. So, and Wolf says, for in addition to being a worshiping people, the Christian nation has submitted to magistrates and constitutes a people whose cultural practices and self conception provide a foretaste of heaven. You know, I would like to see. Ooh. I would like to see the book. 
just to see, does he, is he quoting scripture? Yeah, that, that's good. I look for the book at the library, too. No, they didn't have it. Yeah, because but, uh, I, it can't be. Yeah. And if it is, it's got to be taken out of context. I mean, that's just my guess, right? So to me, this is just this guy's opinion, right? Who cares or, what your opinion or, is, dude? Or weird interpretation. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely a, that. A, a Christian nation should be ordered to make the earthly city an analog of the heavenly city. So the nation is an analog of the heavenly city rather than the church being analog. And DeYoung says, I disagree with this conclusion. Um, and then he says, this, um, DeYoung says, this comports with a sweep of redemptive history. He says, the reality of heavenly paradise is found first in Eden, then a reflection of Edenic bliss is to be found in the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. And I would say a reflection of heaven is also found in like the temple, in the tabernacle too. But then it's in the church. Mm-hmm. So, so the, um, the, uh, the analog is found in the church. At present, God's dwelling is with his people in the church, uh, where within the church, the judicial punishments in Israel are recalibrated as ecclesiastical disfellowshipping and the picture of Edenic plenty is manifested by giving generously to our brothers and sisters. That was helpful to me because DeYoung just like in like one sentence kind of gave us a way to think of Old Testament law. And he says, Mm -hmm. why don't we um, enforce Old Testament laws anymore? He says, well, we sort of do because within the church... Um, the the church, church's right to church discipline in that uh, it kind of morphs into that, and also the um, the Edenic blessing, all the grace and provision in Eden is then morphed into the church, and in that the ch- church consists of a body of people who give very generously mm-hmm. and bless the world and bless each other. Yeah. So the church um, is is a microcosm again of that. Mm-hmm. Of the, of the Old Testament law, but then also of, of the plenty found in the Garden of Eden. So he says, uh, it's only at the end of an age that we can expect heaven to come down to earth. Not now. Uh, in the time being, the analog of the heavenly city resides in the church. Um, and then Wolf, uh, maybe I won't get into that, but Wolf has the nerve to quote Matthew Henry, <laughs> of all people, to support his views, and he just totally takes Matthew Henry out of context. But then there's this paragraph which I underlined and I starred, where this is DeYoung speaking. This is beautiful. He says, After all, the New Jerusalem is a vision of the bride, the wife of the Lamb, the church. Revelation 21.9. When Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, describes the church, okay, this is the church, as Mount Zion and the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven— it's hard to conclude that we should call the church an incomplete image of heavenly life. I just love that. Church is not an incomplete image. It's the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled already in heaven. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And then DeYoung says, Christ's chief concern in this age is with the church. Um, So Wolf's vision is uh, nation-centric rather than church-centric. Uh, so then we'll move on here. We'll maybe power through some of these middle sections. Um, yeah, DeYoung says that any vision of Christian nationalism that increases the importance of the nation at the expense of the importance of the church is a price too high to pay. And then on top of all that, it um, Wolf seems to put his hope 
like not in the bride of Christ, but in this this leader, this Caesar-like leader that you mentioned, mm-hmm. this very uh, charismatic world shaker for our time. That's Wolf's language. We need a world shaker of our time. I mean, that... It sounds like him and Trump must be best friends <laughs> yeah. or something, you know? That's what it sounds like. That's <laughs> what it sounds like. So then section three, he gets into Protestant political thought throughout history. And he says, basically... Wolf goes back and says, see, the Protestant reformers believed in this Christian nation too. But de Young comes along and says, no, they actually didn't. They never did believe like that. And de Young does a great job of kind of tracing out the evolution of thought to show that the um, Protestant reformers were very hesitant to, of establishing a Christian nation and uh, very, I guess, apt to... To see the separation, yeah. I mean, you, you know, my thought, just briefly, yeah. when it comes to that thought, is I remember when I was in prison, and we put together a Christian basketball team. Okay. And all <laughs> the guys on the team were Christians, and um, my mentor Randy Gruber, um, who would come in and do Bible study, we told him, yeah. And he's like, bad idea. <laughs> and we was like, what? Wow. We were like, man, it's a great idea. Yeah. Like, we can show the world yeah. what it looks like to be a Christian, how you Christian conduct nation. yourself. I mean, basketball team. A cri- that's what I'm getting at, right? <laughs> yeah. Man, we did it. We couldn't even get through the first game, man. Our center <laughs> and the coach was about to kill each other. We had to break them up. This and is the, this is a teaser for this episode right here. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the other team we were playing – yeah. Was comprised of mostly Muslims, yeah. and I remember the, their point guard, <laughs> Sweet Pea, was his nickname. Sweet Pea came Sweet over, and he was like, he came right over to where they was arguing, at, and we literally holding these guys back. Yeah. And he was like, "Y'all, this supposed to be a Christian team. This supposed to be a Christian team. Y'all acting like fools over here." And I was just like, all I could think was Randy just shaking his head, saying, "That's a terrible idea." And so we came back and we told Randy, he's like, "I told you." And so we disbanded the team. We didn't, we didn't disband it. Like we had a few people quit. Yeah. And then we just got some regular old Joes to come on the team. But but I bring that up pointedly yeah. because of this right here. Like, yeah. I don't think God intends. Yeah. There, you can't have a Christian nation. Why? Yeah. Because you got sinners yeah. that are going to be at the helm of everything. <laughs> and it's going to speak to the nature of our yeah. sin. And it's going to cause yeah. the non-Christians to look at us and say, I, I got that already right. over here with yeah. this group. Why I want to come over here and be more of Especially that? with Wolf calling this this charismatic leader that he speaks of, he's saying that he is the head of the church and can decide on doctrines and can decide on worship for all the churches, all the complaints. It sounded like the false prophet. Yeah, exactly. I was like, is this dude talking about the the false prophet? The Antichrist than anything else. Well, that's that's what I mean. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. What is up with this dude? Like, does he hear what he's saying? Did he read what he wrote? <laughs> so your basketball team didn't last 250 years. It like didn't our even nation. last a game. It didn't, it didn't last, last a half, man. <laughs> it did. It did. It didn't last a half. So, uh, so then dipping back into the the evolution of Protestant political thought, I mean that illustration really nails it. And to see the the reformers wrestling with uh, political theory in their time in this 16th, 17th, 18th century. And you guy have a, a guy named Samuel Puffendorf. Love his name. Old, <laughs> old Puffendorf. Um, he was a Lutheran, and he argued that the state was not founded for the sake of religion and that religion as a part of, a natu- as part of natural human freedom, and it cannot 
uh, be delegated to a sovereign. According to Puffendorf, Deung says, the magistrate's chief duty was not the heavenly ordering of society, but the safety and security of the people. That was the end for which civil government was instituted. And I love that. But the reason for government, make sure people don't kill each other. Like, other than that, take a step back, you know, but uh, that that's the reason for government. Like, basically, a hands-off. That's the end of the government, the safety and security of his, of, of the people. And, like, that's where... I, that's where I get riled up today because it seems like our government, and this is why this really stood out, this article stood out to me, because it seems like our government is just, has their hands in everything, right? Oh, without a doubt, It's like, man, without if the government doubt. is like a, the big green giant, he lives somewhere in your neighborhood, that's fine. He's in your neighborhood, a few houses down, that's fine. Let him stay there. But now it's like, he's at your dinner table every mm-hmm. night. He's telling you how you should decide about very, very personal and moral things. And if you don't, then you're a bigot or yeah. whatever, Lim- right? Limiting what you can do. Limiting what you can do. What you can say. The government's supposed to be, according to Puffendorf and many others, again, just make sure people don't kill each other. Uh, the safety and security of the people. And I, and, I, and I can say, like, there's more that we can add to that that's yeah. good. Yeah. Than not just that. But the, yeah. but I get your point. Like, yeah. they shouldn't be, it shouldn't be woven throughout every single stinking thing that's in our lives, yeah. you know, because now we have no power control over our life, mm-hmm. which I guess, yeah. So yeah, it's like freedom. I mean, talk about vaccines, freedoms. talk about uh, lockdowns, all, all that. Yep. So um, then he has this great quote from Locke, uh, John Locke that I've heard before. And again, this was in like six in the 1680s to show that um, even as early as that, they still didn't want to believe in a Christian nation. So Locke says, quote, what power can be given to the magistrate for the suppression of an idolatrous church, which may not in, in time and place be made use of to the ruin of an orthodox one? So Locke's saying what goes around comes around. Mm. So like if you really want to have like this state church mm-hmm. and to, to say that this church is is better than this other one, it's going to come back to bite you. What goes around comes around, and you may be on the good side one day, mm-hmm. and the next day you may be on the bad side, yeah. right? So that's the danger of uh, bringing them together. Um, and then um, DeYoung goes on to point out, as you said at the very beginning, like just point to some examples, and, and DeYoung says there's no examples in Wolf's book. There's no historical example examples of Christian nationalism. It's never been tried and um, uh, Christian nationalism, like socialism, hasn't worked because the real thing has never been tried. So socialism never worked. Christian nationalism hasn't worked or even been tried. Um, DeYoung mentions Aaron Wren's The Negative World Thesis, and people don't know, know what that is. Maybe we could talk about that article one day, but mm. that's, a, that's a really good one. Um, then kind of moving along here. Um, yeah, there's a disconnect between, uh, these conclusions and the rest of his book. Wolf's book doesn't simply argue Christianity is necessary for public virtue or that Christianity should be, have a privileged place in American culture and political life. Wolf argues for theocratic Caesarism, for a national church establishment, for a Christian prince to punish Mm -hmm. 
false teachers, and to regulate external acts of religion, including the professions of faith, the ceremonies of worship, and the church's doctrine. That's on page 356, 357 of Wolf's book. I'm glad to put that page number in there because this is, I mean, that's shocking to say that this leader can regulate all these things. This isn't what the American founding was about. And in many respects, it was precisely what the American colonists wanted to avoid. Yeah, but then um, Dion says, but I dare to say Christianity in this country without a national religious establishment, without a world-shaking Christian prince, without uniformity in worship and doctrine, has fared pretty well. Yeah. When talking about earthly realities, it's always helpful to ask the question, compared to what? If the American experiment has failed, I'd like to know which country in the past 250 years has gotten a passing grade. Yep. Yep. It's, 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 it's it's worked, right? It's worked better than better than your basketball team. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's good and bad. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, and everything. So there's things that have worked in our country in the government, and there's things that haven't worked. Yeah. You know, and I think to be um, true and to be fair, you need to acknowledge the wins and the losses. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you you acknowledge yeah, yeah. the losses so it yeah. doesn't repeat itself, yeah. right? So you don't keep losing. Yeah. Um, and then the wins, you want to duplicate yeah. those wins. Yeah. So it's like it's like it's like what you said before about acknowledging past wrongs. Yeah. But it's like in a marriage too. Like just because you have a, a major trouble, someone really sins against the other person, doesn't mean you automatically have to divorce. Yeah. I mean, it might mean that, but at least you have to acknowledge it, and mm-hmm. then you can move forward. Yep. Um, so the the section number four de young um really lays into his epilogue wolf's epilogue and de young said perhaps the book could, he could have taken the book a little more seriously uh until you mean wolf or de young could have de young could have taken oh, okay, the book okay. more seriously <laughs> until he got to wolf's epilogue okay. because in the epilogue <laughs> wolf just um starts writing crazy That's where he just starts writing these little weird one-off Nietzschean kind of manifestos yeah, yeah. that are like, what What are you saying? And um, De Young quotes several of these where, where it just sounds like Wolf is like, a, I don't know, like a teenager ranting on uh, Twitter or something uh, <laughs> about uh, about different things. And, and De Young says, you know, um, I could have taken you seriously until, until all this because it's very like, Women are, our, our culture is being taken over by women and that's, that's not right. And, and mm, all this yeah. kind of victimization speech that, that Wolf is uh, giving lip to or, 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 or sharing. So um, that, section's, that section's interesting. Um, and DeYoung says that Wolf thinks all, this, thinks all this is concerning, that he wrote it down as extra troubling, that he and his editors thought it a good idea to end the book with a series of vituperative harungs is baffling. Uh, is this the civilizational answer we've been looking for? Living off the grid, complaining about women, complaining about the regime, complaining about how hard it is to be a white male, warning about the globalists, calling out the dangers of vegetable oil, and chastising Presbyterians with dad bods. So <laughs> Wolf like is making fun of fat people. He's making all of this, and it's just way too much. So, um, but I say all that, I think it's important to say that because of this next point, which I, is, I don't know, this is a big one for me too. And this is the danger that it's falling into. And it was clarifying for me because 
DeYoung kind of sees that Wolf is um, falling into the same trap as the people that he's denouncing. And mm. Wolf, Wolf, Wolf is sounding woke. I could put it like that. Mm. The old woke wolf, uh, kind of a, a right woke uh, wolf. Um, because DeYoung says he's borrowing liberally from the playbook of the left. He not only redefines the nature of oppression as psychological oppression, so making it easier to justify extreme measures for your side and harder to argue that it's as bad as it's, they seem, but he also rallies the troops by reminding them that they're victims. The world is out to get you, and people out there hate you, is not a message that will ultimately help white men or any other group that considers themselves oppressed. So he says, when Wolf sarcastically thanks those who woke, quote, woke many from their dogmatic slumber and rejoices that, quote, more are awakening each day, so notice the, the waking language, one might be forgiven for seeing his version of Christian nationalism as a form of right-wing wokeism. What does it mean to be woke if not that? One, we're awakened to the reality of that oppression is everywhere. Two, extreme measures are necessary. And three, the regime must be overthrown. So that's kind of a summary of the, the Christian nationalism position. And, it, and it's, it's a right position that sounds exactly like the left position. So in me, that's illuminating because it's like uh, there's something else out there uh, and it doesn't matter which political side necessarily that you're on, but that people are believing that, that it's good to say that you're a victim. It's good to say that we need to stake, take extreme measures and we ought to overthrow the regime. Like mm. that's out there. And um, um, I don't think that's what we need to do. And that's not the gospel way. And that's what uh, DeYoung is saying. So the right is sounding a lot like the left. So then the, the last section, uh, the best parts of the, of the whole thing, um, DeYoung gets into um, the church and a better strategy and the purpose of the church. I encourage people uh, to read that. And uh, DeYoung says, first of all, we should remember that there are much bigger problems than the national and civilizational collapse, like sin, the flesh, and the devil, like death and hell. I love that. That's a great mm -hmm. reminder. There's, there's, sin is more uh, of a problem than a whole civilization's collapse, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. without a doubt. Man. Without a doubt. The devil is a much bigger problem than our nation collapsing. Yeah, he says we need confidence, yeah. courage, and Christ-likeness. We need faithful churches, yep. gospel preaching, and prayer. We should contend for the faith. We should disciple our churches and catechize our kids. We should create new and steward existing civic, educational, and ecclesiastical institutions. We should love our neighbors and share our faith. We should press home the truths of natural and revealed religion in the public square and get involved in the political process. Where possible, most of us should get married and have children. I love that paragraph. Yeah. We need confidence, courage, and Christlikeness. Yeah, he says it's cultivating the virtues of prudence, Justice, wisdom, and temperance is building bridges and building walls, is speaking the truth and offering grace, is striving to grow in every fruit of the Spirit, is asking that God would give us every virtue of grace, is modeling an alternative culture as a city of God, and is trying to be salt and light among the city of mm. man. So, yep. I mean, that's to me, that's it. That's yep. the remedy right there. That's the, that's the recipe. Yep. And he says, I want Christians in the fray 
not simply negotiating terms of our surrender. Mm, yeah, yeah, I like yeah. that. <laughs> we need to be in the fray. Yeah, we ain't waving no white flags. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's, uh, I think that's the end of the article. Yeah, what the I want to quote, um, biblical instincts are better than nationalist ones. He says, oh, and then I'll just read this. He says, we aren't the first Christians to live in trying times. Most Christians around the world and millions of Christians throughout history would likely trade their circumstances for ours. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, this ain't, no, I mean, the stuff that we're going through is something because it's relevant to us mm-hmm. right now. But if you think about historically, man, this ain't nothing. Yeah. This ain't nothing. I ain't yeah. got to hide my Bible. Yep. I ain't got to like creep to some unknown location and yep. go to church and hope they don't find yeah. out. You know, I don't have to worry about people burning a cross mm-hmm. or burning Bibles in front of my house. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about none of that stuff, man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's crazy to me. But, All right. You know. So, um, encourage people to, uh, well, listen to our summary <laughs> if you don't want to read the article yeah, or right. the book. <laughs> um, but uh, if you have any uh, comments or, or questions, uh, you can email us at uh, bumperstickerfaith at gmail.com. Um Want to also remind p- people of um, the v- ways that they can support us as we keep moving forward. As we've said, we're going to try to have some guests on here. I actually have one guest lined up already. Uh oh. So um, we're going to have guests on here. But uh, to make all that happen, we need your support and you be- can become a BS crew member. You can go on our website, bumpersickerfaith.com. That's right. Go to the menu tab. Um, that says BS Crew, and you can see the ways you can support it. And like at the lowest level, it's like $5 a month. $5 like, a month, man. That's like a know, big coffee. It's like a big hot chocolate. <laughs> big hot chocolate. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, man, thanks for tuning in. We hope that, man, hope that this was good. Um, you could always, maybe you can put the link to that article. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Um, that way yeah. people want to actually yeah. read the article. Yeah. And, um, you know, hopefully it was helpful in some kind of way. Um, If so, pass it on, share it with other people. But until then, we'll see you next time on BS Faith. Peace. Don't go stepping no BS.